Welcome, guys, to episode five of Talking to Trailblazers. My name's Jack Corbett. On behalf of Business News Australia today, I'm stoked, super, super excited to be joined by one of the Sydney Young Entrepreneurs of the Year and somebody who is actively disrupting one of Australia's largest industries, the construction space. Mr. Lee Rust, how are you this morning, my friend? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me today. No, likewise. Thank you for, for putting aside the time. I know things have been super, super unique and super busy for everybody over the last three months. So I um, appreciate you taking some time out so that everybody who follows this channel get a, a chance just to pick your brains and understand a little bit behind the human being that has made um, you know such a, an amazing organization that is growing so quickly. So um, thank you for it, mate. But I've, I've got to get this, this question out of the way because it's, um, it is topical. It is relevant for everybody. And I think there's so many great learnings from it. So COVID-19, February to June 2020, um, what did Lee learn about his business and what did he decide to do differently? I think you hit the nail on the head before with that that word unique. It's definitely been a unique experience. And, you know, there's lots of lots of learnings come from it. Uh, you know, when it all first hit, I guess there was a bit of denial about what was going on. And I thought, oh, this will just blow over. Then a week later, I realized that it was definitely here to stay. And, you know, part of me went into a, a panic mode. I was like, oh, no, what's happening? It's all gone to shit. We're going to, we're going to lose everything, you know, just this doom and gloom sort of came out and I just sort of had to regather myself and, you know, go back to what I know and that sort of, you know, just get determined and say, no, we're going to be all right and push through. And I think what we learn is you just got to be quick to adapt to be, whether it be a pandemic or changes in your industry or whatever the circumstances are, you just got to be quick to adapt to learn to pivot you know, accept what is, what is and, and move through it. And, you know, that's what we did. We, I sent my office staff home quite quickly, got them working remotely. We brought in extra protocols around cleaning and sanitizing and all those kind of things just to make sure that we could keep functioning as a business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, there's already straight away in the first two, three minutes of speaking to you, mate, I, this is why I was so excited to have this chat. You are the first person who has openly admitted you shit yourself when it <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Often we as business owners try to purport this bulletproof impression that we have no difficult days, that we aren't worried or scared or having cash flow problems because I think this is now a generation where perception is exceeding performance. As long as it looks like you're doing well, it doesn't actually matter if you are. <laughs> you know, to, to, to so many people. So no, it's really interesting to hear, hear you say that. And the word you said, pivot, a gentleman that I follow a lot called Chris Rydell, he's a futurist, has a quote that pivoting is a change in strategy without a change in vision. So what I'm trying to achieve has not changed. It's just the methodology, the pathway, the vehicle to getting to that outcome now needs to look a little bit different. Right. So more. you talk about being quick to adapt. I also think that you need to proactively prepare yourself to be able to adapt. And I think sometimes people make business systemic or operational decisions that limit that ability. So in hindsight now, for anybody who's looking to grow their business, what are some of the things to be mindful of, Lee, that can keep us in a position where we're able to adapt quickly? Well, I think... <laughs> 
any decision is better than no decision. So in business, if you sit on your hands for too long, the opportunity will a lot of the time disappear. So I think, you know, you've got to make, you know, uh, you know, consider whatever decision you're making, but you can't just wait too long. You need to, you need to do it fast. So if the market's moving one way, you need to pivot with that market and go for it. If you sit on your hands for too long, the opportunity will go. Yeah, completely and utterly respect that for sure. And I think that t- taking away the little piece of learning there, uh, a quote for me is that any decision is better than no decision at all. And I often tr- try and encourage my team. I say to them, look, whether you tell me yes or no, it's irrelevant to me. What I ask is by Friday lunchtime, make a decision. I'll respect your decision, but ultimately it's one that you made and not one that time made for you. Mm. You know? So yeah, and I understand that. And is there during those days where we were waiting for construction to be classified as an essential service, um, Talk to me a little bit about when you're in a negative mindset, which you've openly admitted to. I often talk about the predator and the prey mindset. You were clearly sitting at that time in a prey mindset, feeling like the world was happening to you. Um, Coming out of that and looking at the potential for something like that to happen again, how do you think mentally we can best prepare and aid ourselves to come through these biggest challenges? Well, I think you, you need to constantly challenge yourself, you know, even if it's in a, in, a, in a good realm, say in sporting or whatever it may be. So once you push yourself into those deep sort of holes, you know how to get out of them, whether it be business or family or personal achievements. I think it's going to the deep, dark places so that you know you can come out the other end. So me going through this pandemic and, you know, going into a deep, dark hole and shitting myself, literally, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's made me stronger for it. And so coming out the other side, you know, we, we found opportunity in the pandemic. We're Australian-made and Australian-owned, so we had local manufacturing uh, capabilities. A lot of other people rely on overseas. So we found that as our, our niche and our positive, and we ran with that and went to our clients and said, look, we're Australian. We're, we're not interrupted by any supply chain issues for overseas. So we took that to our advantage and, and ran with it. Yeah. You know, for me, that was, you know, going to the, the, the dark place makes you more resilient, makes you stronger. Yes. I'm kind of seeing that in your story, that you are one of these people that almost openly invites adversity. And it's kind of like through adversity, I will develop strength and I will be forced to grow. Whether I like it or not, growth will be shun upon me because in a situation that is so adverse, it demands change. Um, So I've got a quote here. I want to see what your opinion on it is. It says, struggle is essential for the evolution of the human soul. Struggle is essential for the evolution of the human soul. What are your thoughts on that statement or quote? I could not agree anymore. It's perfect. You can't grow unless you struggle. You don't, you'll always stay in that comfort zone unless you push yourself out of that comfort zone. And that's the areas you grow. If you're, you know, if you've never run a marathon, run a marathon. You're going to get hurt. It's going to be horrible, but you will grow from that experience, and that's where you gain strength. You've got to put yourself in positions which aren't comfortable, and that's where the real growth comes. So I'm a big believer in that. I always challenge myself personally, you know, in sporting things, but that that relays so much to business. It's it's uncanny how much you know putting yourself in the hurt locker in a sports arena or. You know, I've done cage fighting before. 
that you can relay that to business. You know, business is like a cage fight. People are trying to rip you down left, right, and center everywhere. But you know, that stronger person always prevails. So I'm, yeah, I love that statement. No, that's awesome. And I, you spoke about obviously your staff um, going and working from home. Um, I've I've been the same over the last four months, and. I'll be honest, I've started to seriously question the hundreds of thousands of dollars I spend every year on commercial rent. What have been the positives and negatives for your team of, of working from home? Yeah, well, I guess the, the positive was, you know, revisiting the next sort of uh, place that we, we possibly moved to. Do we need all that office space? Is that you know, floor space needed for the dollar value that it's worth? A lot of the feedback from my staff has been their productivity has increased because there's less distractions. A lot of my staff has said they're logging in earlier in the morning because they're not having to, you know, get ready or drive to work. So a lot of the office staff are logging on at, you know, 7.38 in the morning where they would have previously logged on at, say, 9 in the office. So I think there's lots of positives that come of it. And even if you don't go back to that full office format or at home format, the flexibility now is there. We've had to be flexible. We've had to set up systems that allow us to have people working from home. So if someone does say have a cold, well, they're not sick, but they've just got a cold. I don't want them in the office, but they can still log on at home work. So I think that's, that's been a, a real positive. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you know, especially Sydney where you guys are based of all places, you know, is probably the epitome of it, but you're, in essence, forcing people to take, you know, if somebody lives in Liverpool or Rockdale, you know, take what could be, I don't know, hour and a half maybe, would you say, yeah. out to Belrose at, yeah. at, in peak traffic? Yes. Um, they're losing three hours of their day. Mm. Why not? Most people would be willing to give you those three hours back and do ten and a half hours of a working day if they didn't have to take on that commute. Yeah, I agree. And so, yeah, I think there's some big, big eye openers um, from that. And obviously, um, for everybody's knowledge, um, Lee's business, um, Safety Line Jalousi, is a business that supplies a super high-end, hybrid, European-designed uh, windows, um, mostly to construction sector, to construction partners. So it's rated as the highest-grade system in the world for wind, water, noise, and strength. So they currently are working with really big builder developers like your Meritons and, and your Mervax, but they're also, I believe you've done over 400 schools as well, um, New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria, and WA. So with you having a supply chain from Europe, how, how did the supply side of things get affected during this time? Yeah, so we, I guess we were fortunate where we, um, with the volume of stock that we carry, we're always very well in advance because we're very mindful of, uh, you know, keeping our client expectations, uh, you know, where they, where they need to be. So you know, we carry a lot of stock, so we were pretty much in, uninterrupted. It was more the future planning that we were. I was more considered about it was the six, 12 months if this pandemic, you know, continued for a long time. Um, but, yeah, at, at right now we're good and, you know, like I said, we are Australian-made, so all the product is here, so we're ready to go. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really good. And you're... In terms of looking now as we come out, I guess the light at the end of the tunnel and we start, we start moving forward, um, what's your opinion on the construction industry in its entirety? Because I think you, I try not to get my um, financial advice from Channel 9 News, that's for sure. But 
if you would believe one sector would tell you that the, the crash is about to happen and housing prices will lose 30% in the next two years, and then the other part says, well, actually, no, there's an incredible economic stimulus package that's been put in, a $25,000 um, grant for anybody who wishes to purchase a newly built or developed property. So from the man who's at the absolute cold face and the person who's getting the orders every day from your construction partners, what's your two cents worth on our housing market in this country at the moment and, and what you foresee to be um, you know, the next 12 to 24 months in terms of its performance? Yeah, well, I, think, I think the market will still remain strong. I think it's definitely going to take us a hit only because of people's uncertainty and, and thanks to the likes of Channel 9 News, et cetera. It's... Um, it just instills that fear in everyone. But you've got to sort of sit back and have a look. The government is in, injecting a lot of money and there's billions of dollars being thrown around to other stimuluses, you know, for infrastructure and schools and hospitals and all these other types of areas they're building in. So I think that the future for the construction industry is good. It's strong and, you know, we'll get, we'll get through this. And the, I think the big positive out of this is that people will start to look back home for Australian manufacturing. And that's one thing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and, and grateful that the government is going to do is support more local manufacturers so we can keep jobs here and keep money here and we can keep building. Yes. Now, it's, um, I completely agree with what you're saying. And, and if I could just hammer home one more time to anybody listening to this today, please do not let propaganda-based, politically biased media channels determine the way that you think. Because I have this amazing video that I often send to clients of mine who are considering purchasing an investment property. It was from 1990 on Channel 9 News where the reporter is saying, D-Day has arrived. The Australian property market is officially dead. At that point, we had lost 10% in the space of 94 days. The average property price had reduced 10% in 94 days, and we were told that you should set your Sydney home on fire. <laughs> it was not worth the timber it was made. Instead, stay warm from the fire created off the home, right? At that time, the average property price had just reduced from 170000 to $153,000 in Sydney in 1990. I would ask anybody who bought a home in 1990 in Sydney whether they are happy with that purchase. And I am confident 99.9% .9 of those people who bought a house for $153,000 30 years ago are sitting with a $900,000 home today, extremely glad that they didn't listen to that news channel or set that home on fire. <laughs> just, just keep that in mind, guys, when you're listening. Well, uh, Lee, I want to go back to where I first met you. I first ever met yourself and your brother, um, Sydney Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards uh, 2019. I was fortunate enough to present that award to you guys. But what more intrigued me was I was actually in a lift with your father. And to try and give context to people listening, I, I apologize if I'm incorrect in suggesting this, but the Russ, Mr. Russ comes across to me as a hardworking, honest, blue-collar, Ocarozzi sort of a bloke. And to listen to him talk about you two boys and the admiration he had for you, the pride. And it was to the point where I was watching this, you know, rough and ready bloke start to get a little bit choked up. You know, he's getting that little lump in his throat and he was almost becoming a little bit tearful. Um, to watch that, because I've never had a relationship really with my father, um, it warmed me from the inside out, you know. And I, I kind of wanted to know 
I've never said that to you. I don't believe you're, you're aware of that incident with me and your father, but I want to flip it on its head and ask, how much are you fueled by the admiration and pride that he has in you boys? You know, how, how much is he somebody you look up to and somebody that you ultimately want to make proud? Yeah, well, just he- hearing you say that just now has made me choke up a little bit as well. So, um, you know, my dad's always been a massive inspiration of mine and a role model and someone I've always gone to and, you know, seeked advice off. And it was a big, big part of us starting this company and helping us along the way. And, you know, I think it's it goes both ways. You know, I'm sure he's proud of, like you say, he's proud as, um, proud of us, but we're very proud of him, of what he achieved. And he is, you know, he's that Aussie bloke and he's worked from nothing to, to create this multi-million dollar business himself and nothing but hard work has got him there. Yes. And I think you touched on it earlier, but I think that's what a lot of, a lot of people don't understand these days. I think that you just create a business and it's easy days and there's no hard times because of social media, et cetera. Sure. But that's not how it is. You need to roll the sleeves up. You need to do the hard work. And that's something my dad's always instilled in us. It's, you know, there's the easy roads, not the, that's, that doesn't exist. You need to do the work. You have to put in the work. You have to have that belief, the determination and the grit. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a big, my success is a lot of it. I owe to my father for sure. So, yeah. No, that was, um, it was a really, it was a really organic special moment that I'll, that I'll remember for a long, long time, because I guess, like I said, not to disrespect my father, I just never had that relationship with him. But as at the moment, as I go through my own journey, um, of parenthood, um, I know that you've got three kids, Lee. Yes. Yourself. Yeah. Um, I guess if you can be half the father and inspiration and guidance that he was to you, then you wouldn't have done a bad job, hey? Yeah. 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 And that's, I guess that's something that, you know, that drives me as well is having my three children and seeing the sort of legacy my dad's left to me and instilled on me. It's I want to do the same and better for my own children. Yeah, for sure. And that, and that kind of brings me into this idea of family because, um, I, I pick up in everything I read about you, everything I see about you, that, that, that family is at the core of who you are as a person. But whilst I would die for my family, I'm one of these people that's had a negative experience of going into business with my brother and it actually having an adverse impact on our personal relationship. You know, the, the old saying is you don't mix friends or family and business, right? Um, but you've you've done the complete opposite. You're very much in business with your family. So I want to sort of know what's the pros and cons of being in business with, with a brother or with a family member. And how do you guys determine work time and home time? Like, is there a, is there a safe word? Is there a certain, like when we're in mum's living room, you do not talk about business, you know, like what are the sort of guidelines to your relationship as brothers and then as business partners? Well, it's, it's definitely a tricky one. I think anyone that says it's clear cut is um, living in a different planet than I am. But we do, it's just all about boundaries, I think. It's, you know, you really have to set boundaries and and just be clear on what they are. And, you know, the, the pros for working with each other is the trust, the undeniable trust. It's, you know, we know we'll always do the right thing for each other. You know, we're never going to cheat each other and, Whatever decision we make, even if we don't agree with each other, we know it's in the best interests 
or, you know, thought to be in the best interest for the company because it's both of ours. So in that regard, that trust and respect is always there. I think the, the biggest thing to, to be able to work with a family member is really having clear and decisive lanes to work in. So you need to have specific roles for each other. It's like any company. You can't have two chiefs at the top. There has to be one boss and then the, everyone else has to have their, their role, so to speak. So my brother is operations manager. He runs all the operations and I don't get in his way. Whatever he does, he does. I'm the general manager and director and I run the sales and marketing and all that kind of stuff. And that's my job and he, he doesn't get in my way. So I think if you're really clear and defined on those roles, it, you can work really good synergy in the business. And then what we try and do is once we leave, because we have both young families, we just don't talk about work after work. We, it's not easy because you always want to, but you just, you know, we just try and always bring it back to family or, and just be family because that's what we are at the end of the day. Yeah. No, love it. Absolutely. And I think, look, there's times you get two passionate people with a difference in opinions. I'm sure if an outsider watches you to have a, a heated discussion about something, they would potentially think, God, they're, they're at war with each other. They're fighting. Whereas they could probably see you 15 minutes later sat together having a coffee as if that conversation 15 minutes ago just never happened. Yeah, and that happens pretty much weekly. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think, look, passion and, and, and friction, again, go back to this idea of what you said at the very start. Adversity is important to develop strength. I must have struggle if I'm to develop as a human being and to grow. Well, if all you're going to do is, is say, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, then really, are you both giving every ounce of energy you have to be as great as possible? You know, I. I, th I think that friction is a necessary and you've got to have those tough conversations sometimes. Um, and to be honest, I actually find it easier to have tough conversations with my family than my, my staff because I'm very rarely trying to preserve their ego. Yeah. Like I, I'm not worried that, about how my family are going to feel after I make this comment because I know there's enough, um, you know, the roots run deep enough. Yeah. Understand that I'm not here to, to serve a detriment to you, but I am here to stand firmly behind my own beliefs. Yeah, so I agree with that. Yeah, no, I like that. And so if I, if I kind of then pivoted back towards this, this idea of um, idolizing people, you know, father, people to look up to, um, people of success with whom their actions we can mimic, right? I've always believed that the, the fastest way to achieve success for an, un an uneducated bloke like myself, the sort of Tony Robbins modeling theory, find somebody who has the success you're looking for and copy what they do every day. You know, so looking back through your journey, not only as a young man, but even today, who do you look up to? Who, who do you idolize, if you will, in business and in life? My father is obviously at the forefront, you know, growing up with him and watching him create a business. I was always in awe of what he, what he did. So he's, you know, a major influence in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, like Mark Burris, I love what he's done and his determination and, and his drive. And, you know, I take a lot from him, even with his sort of routines of training and, you know, all that kind of thing, how he exercises in the mornings and all that kind of stuff, you know. There's, yeah, there's so many people out there now that I, I look at, you know, even like Russell Brand, I love love hearing his sort of take on the world and his sort of, you know, universal spiritual side of things. So, yeah, they, they're my main sort of people. 
Yeah, nice, mate. And I think one thing you just mentioned there was about morning routines. Um, I I love obsessing over successful people. I guess the biggest benefit to me doing this podcast in, in collaboration with Business News Australia is I get to speak to so many awesome people and sort of pick their brains, if you will. And there's something I'm noticing that's a constant. Um, I read a book by Jack DeLosa called Unwritten, and that book sort of unpacks all the way back from the Aristotle and Socrates and Plato's through to the Bransons and Jobs and Musks and Winfrey's of today. And there's one thing I've spotted to be a constant with every single one of those people. They have a belief that the way their day starts is the way their day will go. And they try to get that first win up as quickly as they can. Some people exercise, some people meditate and have mindfulness, some people journal, some people um, have specific nutrition. Um, you know, some, some people uh, will just make their bed or shine their boots, you know, but it's all about winning as quickly as they can and offering, immediately taking control and ownership of their day. So I have actually read somewhere else or heard somewhere else when I was doing a bit of professional stalking on you that you'd spoken into you having quite a disciplined routine in the mornings. Right. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about that? What, what, what does a typical morning look like for Lee Rust? Yeah, well, definitely. I think discipline is a major part of sort of success in any facet of your life, whether it be family or business or, you know, personal achievements. But a day, a day for the life of Lee Rust. So 4.30 a.m., the alarm goes off, I'm up. I'm at the gym by five and I'll do an hour workout from five to six. And then from around 6.30 to 7.30, I do an hour of mindfulness. So I'll journal, I'll meditate. I'll reflect and sort of just plan the day out. I think that's just my hour of lee time where I get to really sort of reset my own head and, you know, create the, the day that I want to create. Then from 7.30 till about 8.30, I go home, get my kids up, get them ready for school, get them off to school, do the taxi drop-off runs, and then I'm in the office by about 9.30 and ready for the day. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in... You know, there's three things that I sort of try and live by in all facets of my life, and it's discipline, belief, and love. I feel if you do everything with discipline, belief, and love, you're going to have a good outcome. Yeah, wow. I like that. It's almost like your kind of your mantras, your affirmations. Do you try and keep those three words visible, like on your screensaver in your office, on your, your mirror in your bathroom, anything like that? Definitely. Yeah, they're on my mirror in my bathroom. They're on my whiteboard in my office. And it's funny, you know, some mornings I'll wake up at 4.30 and it's cold at the moment. You know, it's winter in Sydney and I don't want to get up. And I sort of open my eyes and peel over and there I, there I see it, discipline, belief, love. Yeah. And it sort of gets me out of bed. I'm like, you know, you've, you've committed to this. This is the life that you wanted. So get up, do it. Otherwise, you're not true to yourself. And so those three words just ring in my head every day. And I try and do everything with those three words. And yeah, you know, it's, yeah it's good. Uh-huh. It's great. I mean, I, what, what I'm hearing really is that your success can fundamentally be underpinned by a bulletproof mental strength that, well, not I say bulletproof, a, a willingness to accept that there will be challenges, but an overarching control that says, I am the master of my own destiny and my outcomes are not being delivered to me by chance. They are being delivered to me by choice based upon those actions that I take accordingly. Um, and I think that continuous reinforcement and the affirmations, I think what you guys should have just heard here is that Lee too doesn't want to get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning, but his 
goals, his dreams, his desires, his aspirations are bigger than his excuses. Um, he is more hell-bent on being disciplined, believing and loving than he is making excuses, you know, and saying not now. So um, would it be fair to say to you that success is more than just a dollar figure? Oh, definitely. I think the, the money is just a, you know, just an outcome of, of everything that you drive for. So yeah. it's more of a byproduct, right? It is definitely a byproduct. Yeah. So how do you, so if we go to then say that money's an output metric, I can't input money to my life. I can only output money from the actions I take. Then when we talk, you know, business often talks about KPIs or OKRs, you know, targets, goals. What metrics do you use to measure success? I think it's about personal growth. It's forever growing, you know, challenging yourself, whether it be business or personal or family. And, you know, you've got to challenge your, your family dynamic as well and watch your children grow and your wife's relationship grow. And to me, that's success. When you see that the mindset change and, you know, your physical attributes change and just all those kind of things, that's what the real success is. is when you, when you have that, the relationships and the connections and the love in your life. That's, that's success. That's, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And it's that idea that, you know, <laughs> you can't buy your happiness, but generally when applying your own happiness and purpose to um, any task role business, that the inevitability is that you will make the money. So the money isn't driving the happiness it's the actions that create the money that are yeah yeah i always go back to that you know you do everything with discipline belief and love like you have to have discipline you can't just wake up today and run a marathon you have to have discipline training correct you also have to believe in yourself if you don't think you can run it you're not going to run it so you need to believe and you need to love it like you need to be able to have that element of love and if you do it'll just be all the more better in the end so you have those three factors and i think any task you want to do in life, you can do. Yeah. And I mean, I, you, you mentioned uh, cage fighting before, which I think is probably the sca- one of the scariest things you can do in the world is just walk in with a pair of four to six ounce gloves on, on, your, on your hands and stand there and realize that this doesn't matter how much money I've got, what my OP score was, where I got my degree from, what car I drive. None of this is relevant. Um, I'm in a, an octagon with another human being who wants to, to take my consciousness away, you know? So I, um, you, you talk about discipline, belief, love. I, I, one of my favorite fighters, top three or four fighters, Dustin Poirier obviously fought at the weekend. The difficult thing for me is he was fighting another one of my absolute favorite fighters, Dan Hooker. But at the end of the fourth round, his coach says to him, are you having fun? And he replied, I'm having a blast. At that point, he had been punched in the face 117 times, okay. right? But he loves it. That, yeah. That's what I'm seeing. He believes he was winning the fight, and he did win the fight. He loves what he does, and he's had the discipline for the last however many years, or specifically the last 14 to 16 weeks in fight camp, where right now he's in there just acting on impulse. He's just acting and reacting, the hard work, you know, it's too late to be training, basically. It's too late now to be trying to correct any mistakes that you may be making. So, um, yeah, I like that. And it kind of takes me back into that idea, again, of struggles and adversity, right? Um, would you agree with me that you never really know what a fighter is made of until they are in an adverse situation as well? 
Oh, for sure. That's yes, correct. Everyone, it's like you when you're training in the gym, boxing and sparring. You know, you can look the amazing, but until you get put in that cage and you face that real adversity, that's when the real person comes out. You see if that guy is a fighter. Yeah. I watched that fight on the weekend as well, and both those guys, you know, they are fighters. You know, they're 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 ready for adversity, any any shape or form. Yes. And, and it's like that idea, the old Mike Tyson quote, right? That everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And I guess COVID was that business punch in the face that we all had a plan. I know for me, I used to write like three and five year succession plans, um, cash flow projections, you know, HR succession modeling, things like this. In COVID, it was difficult to plan what you wanted to do this afternoon. It was almost on like an hour by hour basis, wasn't it? Um, but we were just having to be constantly reactive to whatever was thrown at us. But I think another good example of that for everybody who's listening would be Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey was the number one, the unbeatable fight. She was the, the Floyd Mayweather, the Muhammad Ali of, of, of female fighting of her generation. She was just beating everyone until she got kicked in the face. And then from that day forward, she never won another professional fight. So that's where you ask the question, was she the best in the world? Or was she the best in the world in non-adverse situations? And I think they're two completely different things, right? Yeah, I agree with that. So, mate, let me, let me go into some of the darker moments then. I think, again, what you are going to give that others just want is some reality. Um, when has been the moment that Lee has been in what I call the pit? You've been sat on the floor. For me, it's normally sat on the floor of the shower with a cold shower dripping on my head, asking yourself the question, what am I doing? What, what am I doing? When, when have those moments been? What caused them? And how did you pull yourself out of the other side of them? I think the most recent one was obviously COVID, the, this whole pandemic thing. You know, and That was a short-lived one. I've sort of already talked about that. But I think the, the major one for me was, starting this business you know first couple of years is figuring out how can we even pay for this and where's the money is there any money what are we doing and then after you sort of get through that two-year period i sort of sat and thought what the hell am i doing what is this like do i even want to do this is it going to work and i had some you know some really bad self-doubt and i just didn't know if it was right and I, i was i literally just i remember just sitting on the on my desk, just sitting at my desk, and I was just like, just looking blankly out of the window, thinking, "What the fuck am I doing? You know, <laughs> is this going to work?" And you know, it comes just back to I just had to bring myself back to why did I do this? Like, what did I start this for? And it wasn't it wasn't just a five minute thing. This was over weeks of me having these thoughts, and you know, the money wasn't coming in, and we weren't selling. But I had this deep down feeling. I was like, "This has to work." I believed in this at the start this will work. It's right. And there's a little saying my dad always told me, he said, there's a thing in life that's called stickability. <laughs> and I was like, what's stickability? It was basically persistence, you know, and a lot of, a lot of people will get into business and they get to you know, 80, 90% through. And that last 10% is where it's really, really hard before you make it. It's, you know, that last 10% is the really final push that I think a lot of people, that's when they pull out. It gets too hard and they pull out, but they don't realise. How close how they bloody are. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was my big moment in business. It was like three or four years in. 
no sales really on the board. A lot of interest, but just nothing happening. Uh, that's I just doubted myself and went into a, a bit of a dark hole. But for sure, and, and momentum is such a powerful thing, right? Like it's funny how I had similar situations to you. There's there's no there's no cash in the account. There's no orders. There's no referrals. The repeat customers not coming back, and you you start to seriously doubt whether you're doing the right thing. But I promise you guys. When you have that moment, you are closer to success than you have ever been. And you will feel it's like night and day. You'll flick a switch, you'll win your first big client. And then the, the tide has changed. You know, the wind is behind your sail. And then all of a sudden, 18 months later, you're actually questioning whether you can take on board another customer because you don't know if you have the operational systems to support them. So if in doubt, I always just say, just, just keep jogging, keep going. You know, whenever that moment of doubt sets in, remember you are closer than you believe. And it is one phone call, one proposal, one partnership away from being the catalyst to spark in your business, from being that, you know, $1 million mom and pop operation to being that $100 million corporation that's now, you know, a national dominator in your service sector. So um, mate, that's amazing. I'm going to go left of field with my next question. I know I've only got about four minutes left, but I'm going to go left of field with this next question. Um, we are in a time where um, equality is being uh, very heavily discussed, right? And it's obviously being driven by a race um, perspective at the moment, being a Black Lives Matter. But look, going from a, a kind of a view of everybody matters. Um, I believe the construction industry, similar to the legal industry in Australia, is one of the biggest boys clubs, one of the most male dominated industries in this country. Um, do you agree with me? Do you think people like, say, Tamika Smith are making great inroads for women to have a foothold in this industry? And how do you think Safety Line can play a part in beginning to even that balance? Yeah, definitely. The construction industry has always been a yeah, male-dominated industry for sure. But what the really encouraging thing now is you see a lot, there's a lot more women involved in construction, you know, being CEOs of some of the larger companies. Uh, there's a lot more project managers on site now. And it's fantastic for the industry. It's, it was needed a long time ago. And I think, you know, going forward, it's only going to get stronger and it'll be, you know, I, I hope it gets to a 50, 50 split. It'll be, better for the industry for sure. And the way we're helping is even in my manufacturing, in my factory, I have four women on the floor manufacturing, which was, you know, pretty much unheard of to have, you know, manufacturing stuff. And yeah, they just, it's just fantastic. It just adds a whole new level. Uh, you know, it's more synergy and it's the way the industry needs to go. So I'm all for it. Absolutely. And I just think it's, again, that idea of, different perspectives, uh, different views, that the more opinions that you can have from people of experience and intellect around any subject or decision can only aid you as business owners. You know, it, it can only aid the progression of your product um, processes and, and ultimately the uh, emotional value that your end user being your customer gets from engaging your business as well. So, um, I love that, mate. I love that. I, I, I would love to sit up quite honestly and, and continue this chat for, for several hours because I think you are a fountain of first-hand experiences with which so many people are about to face the same challenges and, um, and maybe can learn ultimately from the mistakes that you made, you know? Mm -hmm. But 
Um, in summary, some of the things I, I've taken away from this is you, you must be quick to adapt. You know, any, any decision is better than, than no decision at all. Um, that adversity should be welcomed and invited because it develops strength that allows you to grow. Um, struggle really is essential for the evolution of, of your human soul. Um, remember that working with your family is not always a bad thing, as long as you have clearly defined parameters with which um, decisions are made and, and very clear scope of role for each individual so that you don't begin to step on each other's toes. And I think above that is discipline, belief, love, and a routinely nature to how you apply yourselves. You know, there's a reason that Kobe Bryant had to shoot 103 throws in a row before he would finish training every day. And it's that, that Mamba mentality, right? That it's, it's the best or nothing. So, um, Lee, for anybody who is, um, a developer, a builder is currently, um, using the $25,000 government grant to build their own new home, um, why should they be installing safety line and um, where, can they, where can they go to place an order? Well, you, should, you should be using us for sure. We are Australian-made, Australian-owned, so all the profits stay here. So let's support the local economy. But you know, the product is next to none. It's the highest performing product in the world. In Louver windows, so you get natural ventilation plus all the benefits of you know, energy, wind, water and air. So jump onto our website at uh, www.safetylinejalousy.com.au and check us out. Yeah, amazing, mate. Well, listen, speaking to somebody who is a business owner, the son, the brother, the father, um, I just thank you for continuing to show that, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way when I say it, but you know, you're a, you're a, a normal working class kid that just had more drive and determination, more discipline than most of the people around you. And I hope that anybody listening to this who's questioning whether you have the talent or whether you have the platform from which to go and start your own business and achieve success, let the Rust family be an inspiration to you because as long as you want something enough and you're willing to put in the actions to bring your desires to fruition, then there's nobody listening to this today that cannot ultimately be successful or be an entrepreneur of the year just like Lee was. So mate, thank you. Um, I look forward to having the opportunity to do this um, again in the future. And um, I hope that your business continues to grow and continues the trajectory it's been on for the last few years so that we can have an Australian owned, um, an Australian manufacturing business that can continue to dominate a space against some of our, you know, Asian competitors. Yeah, well, thank you, mate. Thanks for the chat today. It's good. And I look forward to seeing you at the awards this year as well. Yeah, likewise, mate. Will you enjoy the rest of your day? It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jack. Take care, buddy. Bye now. Bye-bye.